my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your presenter on Drive Time most Tuesdays and every single Wednesday. Uh, This week, uh, we're going to be following the theme, The Bible, uh, Many Churches and the Rise of Cults. Now, uh, you'll remember on Monday, uh, uh, our good friend Pastor Will and Pastor Brenton, they asked that question, is Christianity unique? Now, that is such an important discussion uh, within the culture that we're living today. Uh, yesterday, uh, Pastor Ricardo and Pastor Marty uh, dug into that question, why then are there so many churches? And uh, I know that uh, as a pastor, I've been asked uh, that question many um, Many times, each time I uh, sit down and uh, and study the scriptures, study the word of God uh, with an individual or with a small group of people. Now today, uh, we're going to be looking at cults. Uh, now this is a really big one. Uh, and we're going to be asking, uh, when is a religious organization a cult and how should we regard cults? Now this question is absolutely uh, key to understanding what the uh, Word of God is uh, is all about. Now, folks, look, if you'd like to uh, give some input, if you'd like to make a comment, if you'd like to share a thought, why don't you do that? Uh, you can do that by texting us at our studio text number, and that number is 04888 04-888-80811. We'd love to be able to hear from you. Now, uh, to guide us through our discussion today, we're actually joined by our regular Wednesday co-host, and that's uh, Pastor David Butcher. And David's the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Oz. Now, welcome to you, David. Good afternoon, Gary, and uh, hello, listeners. Ah, it's great to have you in, in the studio once again. Tell us how this bike, how's the bike riding going? Yeah, what's the next question? No, I, I was in my shed on Sunday, and um, it had cobwebs on it. It had cobwebs. I was mowing the lawn and whipper sniffing and fertilising and everything else, but doing the thing that I need to do. So it's sitting in there, and it's a constant reminder when I open the shed door. Ah, uh, look, yeah, it's dangerous when it gets like that. Tell me, have you started to plan your year-end holiday break yet? Yeah, we have, yeah. We're headed up on the East Coast um, for about 10 days, which will be nice, and um, then hopefully some time uh, back in Adelaide and... Um, yeah, gardening, getting out in the sunshine, out in the and and riding the bike and riding the bike. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know that's uh, that's very true. It's a long way from here. Are you driving from here to here? Ah, uh, flying, flying. Yep. Ah, uh, wise man. <laughs> wise. So, well, it's it's well, there there is the whole. Um, cost time factor like yeah. you know you can spend yeah. so many days driving yeah and when you only have a limited number of days to enjoy and when you have a family relaxed. as well what i've discovered is that by the time you everyone has meals on the road and by the time uh, everyone uh, uh, you pay for for fuel and then you often a, a day's a, a night's accommodation somewhere along the line you know to make the entire family happy uh, it uh, it can be a long trip it can definitely it can so yeah no look looking forward to the end of the year as i'm sure you are as well gary ah. 
I am, as indeed. I am really looking forward to the end of the year. Of course, next year I'm going to be, I'm actually taking a sabbatical next year. So, uh, that's something that I am really looking, looking forward to. I'm not hanging up my boots yet. There's no. Been, uh, there's been a vicious rumor going around that uh, I'm going to hang up my boots. I'm not. And I've not circulated that, and Gary. You have not. I'm really looking forward to you coming back and, uh, really love working with you, the banter and the uh, camaraderie that we have and, and your leadership of this Drive Time program. Really appreciate it, Gary. Yeah, and I'm sure yeah, our listeners yeah. do as well. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Uh, look, guys, let's come to our Worldwide segment. Love the, uh, uh, this particular article. This, uh, this particular article comes out of uh, Premier Christian News, which is one of the uh, major Christian uh, news, uh, news media, Christian news media in the United Kingdom. And uh, this was just released uh, three days ago. Uh, and the article was entitled, God is Good News, Official Survey Says Faith Makes People Happier. Now, when I actually read this and I realised how significant uh, the survey results actually were, I thought, well, hey, we just got to share this uh, with, our, with our listeners. This is what the article said. God is good for you. That's the verdict of people in Britain, according to a survey out today. Uh, it found that those identifying as religious were on average 20% happier and more satisfied with life than atheists or those who were less devout. The study, titled Keep the Faith, Mental Health in the UK, produced by the Institute for the Impact of Faith in Life, reveals that people of faith in Britain are significantly more happy than atheists and non-religious people. The Institute for the Impact of Faith in Life is a research forum established to examine the role that faith and religious belief plays in the lives of people in the UK, whether at work, at home or in the community. They analysed the figures, which were gathered from over 2,000 adults during a 10-day period at the end of September this year. And they found that on key metrics, Brits who identify as more religious report a higher level of mental well-being. Now, I found this incredibly uh, significant, particularly uh, given that uh, we're hearing a great deal these days about issues of mental health. Now, these were the figures. 76% of uh, those who are regularly, regularly attending a uh, religious uh, a religious service with a religious uh, congregation uh, describe themselves as happy compared with 52% for atheists. 76% are satisfied with life compared with 53% for atheists. 73% say they have good psychological well-being compared to 49% for atheists. Uh, now, David, I don't know about you, but um, the, these results to me are quite are quite remarkable. And if people want to actually have a look at them, they can actually pick them up on the Premier Christian News uh, site. It is based in the United Kingdom. The results on positive outlook were found to be consistent across all belief systems. Dr. Rakib Eshan, Senior Research Associate and author of the report, says those working in the field of mental health 
should take note. While it may be considered unfashionable and outdated, the sense of belonging and purpose that can be provided through religious and spiritual forms of attachment and membership should be better explored by policymakers and practitioners in the sphere of mental health. Now, David, I'd really appreciate your feedback on on this particular uh, article. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, to me, uh, this is this is saying so much uh, to a society that is certainly being increasingly impacted by mental health challenges. Now, why do you think that you're getting this? huge difference between those who espouse religion and those who don't espouse a religion of any of any sort yeah really good question a really good topic a great human interest story isn't it that that impacts our health and well-being and gary i've just been doing some reading myself on a study that was done in um 20 2019, I think it was, 2018, on um, the same sort of thing you've been saying. And this is a lady from the University of Chicago, Laura Wallace. And basically they found that people that have a faith live 5.6 years on average longer Mm-hmm. than those that don't. In other words, the Lord doesn't actually want them in the kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wants them to wait. Is that what you're saying? Um, wait for his return. Sorry. But, but, so they do live, they do live longer. Yeah, on average, yeah, and, and yeah. this was done all over the world. Not only that, but uh, part of that is put down to health, you know, less yeah. smoking, etc., those sorts of things. Yeah. But so, sci- scientists have basically said that there are other factors on top of, um, you know, physical health, what you eat, what you put into your body, etc. And, and they talk about, I think, the same things that your article is referring to. Um, social connection comes to the top of the list. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a lot of the issues with... Um, mental health and well-being yeah. revolve around loneliness and isolation. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess being part of a group, having a social connection is a huge thing. Mm. And often the older we get, the lonelier we, lonelier we get. Yeah, yeah. I, I know how true that is, actually, David, because uh, I know over at the church that I pastor over at Brighton, it's, of course, on the, on the west coast here of, uh, of Adelaide. Uh, each, uh, uh, each week when we gather together, we'll have a, a Bible study time. We'll have a, have a worship time. But after that, we've, every single week, we have a, a just a, a church, a community lunch. This week, we're having a potluck, uh, lunch where everybody brings, uh, brings something along. And the thing that really stands out to me is the number of senior people uh, in fact a number of our, uh, our folks have certainly said hey look you know uh, in many in many cases the only time when certainly some of our seniors get opportunity to sit down with a large family of people to eat and to be able to share together is actually when they come together uh, at our uh, at our weekly uh, basket lunch yeah, you think for elderly people, and this is not just for elderly people, clearly, but, you know, their children might have, if they had children, might have moved away, yeah. have their own families, be busy. Uh, if they're elderly, they might have restricted um, uh, transport scenarios where they, they can't readily get anywhere. And so coming together as people of faith, 
meeting with others actually helps because isolation and lack of social connection actually leads to increased stress levels which then exacerbates the other um, things that can occur with our mental health and well-being. So I think that's 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 a, a clear one, social connection. Tell me, David, do you think that there is any benefit because we hear a great deal about um, mental health, particularly of young people today. Now, do you think that there is any benefit to young people of being uh, involved in a in a religious community oh look absolutely and, and people today are better socially connected uh, better connected through media yeah. than at ever any time previously yeah and yet socially mm. um, we don't know how to connect and I yeah. think that impacts there's always going to be exceptions but I think We've lost that ability yeah, to know how. Yeah. You, you'll see people sitting in restaurants uh, and, and or cafes, and it might be a, a man and a woman, and and presumably they know each other, right? They're mm-hmm. sitting together. They'll often both have their mobiles out or a group of friends yeah, sitting yeah. at a playground or in a park. They're just sitting there on their phones. And there has been times where I have to put my hand up to be in that category. Mm-hmm. So we've lost the ability to know how to socialize. And there are some people, and young people as well in particular perhaps, that are so used to sitting in their bedroom on devices that it is can be fearful in moving from that space to engage with people in real life face-to-face. Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying there, David. You know, one of the things that I know that I'm certainly witnessing, certainly at, at once again, the church that I'm pastoring, is that we do have a small uh, a small group of people there who are certainly involved in uh, media uh, evangelism. And to me, the thing that really impresses me uh, is uh, one, you know, one older older guy, if you'll excuse me for, for calling him that, the mentoring that actually goes on through that particular group. And this is this is key. I was going to mention this. We struggle in the general community to have that intergenerational connection with both younger demographics and older demographics. A, a faith community, a Christian church in, in our context provides that. It provides the young people to learn from the old and the old to learn from the young when things are done properly. And that's healthy. That's how we build up resilience. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's where mentoring comes into play. One of the other things, Gary, I think is um, a faith community adhering to a religion and, more importantly, uh, we would say the Christian religion and Jesus Christ actually provides hope. Yeah. Because what hope do atheists have? Yeah. You know, yeah. Th- this world is is simply uh, come about by chance. There is ultimately no morals. There is ultimately no meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what hope do you have? You have no beginning. You know, Christians believe in a creator God. Yeah. There's a beginning. Yeah. We have yeah. our roots somewhere. We yeah. know our past. Yeah. And we know where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. So for someone that doesn't have that grounding. Yeah. And I've seen it, and you have as well. It gives so many purpose funerals. to life, doesn't it? Exactly, exactly. Now, does that mean to say Christians uh, and other faith people do not have mental health challenges? No, we're living in a pretty complex world. Yeah. So we can still have those problems and those challenges, but there is something at the core which reminds us that there is something else out there, some greater being, and we would we, it's God, Jesus mm. Christ, Father, and the Holy Spirit that that are there for us, that that they've come together, um, and there's a rescue mission being enacted. We're not left alone to our own devices. Jesus promised He would come back. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Uh, look, folks, if you want to get hold of this particular. Uh, 
uh, article. It's really worth actually having a look at. Maybe you'd like to share it with some of the folks in your own uh, in your own church. Uh, it comes from Premier Christian News. That's the uh, that's the website. It's a United Kingdom uh, based uh, uh, website, uh, and the article's entitled "God is Good News: Official Survey Says Faith." makes people happier uh, love love that maybe there is a message to mental health practitioners uh, in this entire air, working in this area uh, in the contemporary world uh, folks let's come to some music uh, this is uh, uh, this is my father's world uh, please uh, please enjoy this is my father and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. 
is that uh, beautiful hymn in a contemporary uh, rendition. This is my father's world. I hope you enjoyed that love, that uh, uh, that particular uh, rendition. And now, folks, look, we do have our, uh, our giveaway book for you today. Uh, is entitled God's Truth Can Change Your Life. Now, this is written by Dr. George Knight. Now, he's a, he's a tertiary educator uh, in the area of, uh, of history. But uh, this is a, is a real beaut' book. I really appreciate um, listening to Dr. George Knight. Uh, I've read a number of his books. Uh, every time I've read one of his books, I have been challenged uh, right through my my being. Uh, and uh, the back cover uh, shares, shares this. Searching for life's meaning is universal. Every culture and every era has searched for truth. Truth that answers life's big questions. Truth that provides significance for daily living. Truth that is certain and beyond doubt. But truth has come on hard times. Have you heard somebody say it? Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. But does that really make sense? People agree that it's not wise to step out of the 10th story window or eat certain types of mushrooms. In fact, science and technology are built upon a proposition that truth is out there waiting to be discovered. God's truth that's this book, sets forth the idea that there is truth not only in the material world but also in the social and the spiritual realms. Truth that is foundational to personal and social health. Truth that transforms lives. Guys, this book is a real ripper. Uh, this is one that I would encourage you. If you've never asked for a book before, this is the book that you actually need to pick up. Uh, George Knight is such an engaging uh, uh, um, author, you you will love uh, what uh, what Doctor George Knight does uh, does actually uh, present. And now, folks, look if you would like your own copy of God's Truth uh, can change your life, uh, then uh, all you need to do is to text us. Now, our studio text number is o four triple eight eight o eight eleven. Now that number again o four triple eight eight o eight eleven. And uh, all you need to do is to put in the text our code. Now, our code for today is SA for South Australia, SA145. But whatever you do, don't put a gap between the SA and the 145, just five digits in a row. That means our computer will be able to pick up. Our robot will pick it up. He'll be able to read. He'll be able to understand what you're wanting. So SA145, five digits in a row. Uh, text that to 04888 80811 and then our robot will actually come back to you ask for the information that it needs and uh, uh, and we'll be able to get this book to you in the fastest uh, way way possible uh, so 04 888 80811 and the code is SA145 you will love uh, this uh, uh, this particular uh, this particular book 
Now, friends, you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, a big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. And to guide us through our Bible study today, we are being joined with our regular Wednesday host, and that's uh, Pastor David Butcher, who, of course, is the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Oz. And this week we are following that theme, the Bible, many churches, and the rise of cults. And today uh, we're looking at cults and we're asking, when is a religious organization? a cult and how should I deal uh, with cultish behavior now you know David one of the things I'm really conscious of is that I was uh, uh, I was reading uh, just a, it was only just a short story of, of one particular uh, lady this was back in 2012 uh, she she says this uh, November 2, 2012 was a beautiful Friday in Kansas City, clear and cool and sunny. I had spent the afternoon reading in the library at an unaccredited college uh, affiliated with the International House of Prayer, an evangelical Christian organization commonly referred to as IHOP. At about 6 p.m., I got a call from my friend Hannah. I found out something that's truly devastating, she said. I didn't want to be the one to tell it to you this way, but I want you to know. She said, our friend Bethany committed suicide on Tuesday. I was absolutely shocked, she said. For seven years, I'd spent every, spent hours every day with Bethany, eating, talking and praying. We were best friends. She was only 27. She was newly married. She had completed her nursing degree. I had felt like she'd always be part of my life. Now she was gone. For three weeks, Hannah and I had been trying to contact leaders at IHOP about a prayer group that we, Bethany, and many of our friends had been part of, a small independent community that drew on IHOP's teachings. In February, I had formally been excommunicated, and Hannah had chosen to leave in June. Looking in from the outside, we both saw the group differently than we had when we were part of it. We saw that it was indeed a cult. It had had huge influence on our lives. Now, Dave, David, look, I'm just really conscious that uh, this, uh, for, for some people, may be a sensitive subject because, you know, I mean, sometimes people have made the mistakes of getting involved in a uh, in a in a cult, uh, and some may even still be involved in a cult. Now, David, just explain to us, if you can, to start with, what is a cult, and how should we respond to, uh, to to these types of organizations? Yeah, look, thank you, Gary. I mean, how do they differ from the you know from a conventional church? Yeah, and, and that's going to take a little bit of time this afternoon to unpack. I've just been reading um, recently in research for this program, chapter ten from a particular book from a, or an article from Australian Parliament, uh, which is called. Um, uh, Joint Standing Committee on Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade, Conviction with Compassion, a report on freedom of religion and belief. And this particular chapter uh, deals with uh, various um, cults and also religious groups, etc. And it actually mentions that um, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade noted, noted that there is no legal definition which distinguishes between religions and cults. Now, that's significant. No legal it? definition. 
Um, but then it also talks about various cults that have taken place from a from a spiritual perspective, or if we're talking about the word itself. Um, I, I guess a cult is a sect or group of people that holds to, I guess. You could say deviant doctrines or doctrines that differ in a significant way. It, it's uh, the it's a system of of religious beliefs that distort biblical truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and in essence, the word cult comes from the Latin word cultus, which means worship or adoration. Now, this is quite significant because. You know, most people, when we think of cults, you are drawn to various particular leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, yeah. and the individual there, his name was David Koresh. Yeah. He was a charismatic leader. And, and typically with cults, I guess, that they attract people because someone who is leading that group is decisive, knows what they're talking about. Uh, authoritative. Authoritative. Uh, they are a good salesperson, so to speak, uh, and they, they promise things mm, mm. That, that you currently don't have and that ultimately they generally can't deliver. And, and, and so that's what David Koresh did. And, and, you know, I think there was about 80 people that died from memory. In Waco, Texas. Yeah, I actually remember that one very, very well because, I, in fact, I remember where I was uh, when uh, that uh, that compound actually went up in flames because uh, we actually had some friends who's uh, who had a relative uh, that was actually in that uh, that compound, and we were uh, constantly hearing back from us the, the latest updates on that particular issue. Uh, but that was a an horrendous um, time. I know that family uh, went through and was left asking a lot of. questions questions uh, after that event yeah and i remember that one as well i actually went to to school in high school i was maybe year eight there was a girl in year 10 and mm-hmm. she was bright she was intelligent she had everything going for her and um she got caught up in went to america got caught up with that uh, branch davidian sect and um perished in the fire okay okay which beggars the question, often we think, it's a little bit like scammers, mm. you know, and, and scammers, you know, for credit cards and emails that you click on and you lose money out of your bank account on an incredible rise. And often we think you have to be dumb or, or not fully with it to be sucked into a scam. Yeah, yeah. And we think the same with cults. We're actually quite trusting people, aren't we? We are. We think, how could you ever fall for a cult? I'd never get caught, caught into that. Exactly. And... and one particular group, it was called the Heaven's Gate Cult in America, and one of the leaders there was Marshall Herbal Affleweight, and um, they basically were looking for a comet to come, uh, a comet at the time was coming, and um, they believed that uh, they'd be hooked up and caught up at the back of this comet mm-hmm. and, and taken to paradise. Now, I'm giving you my version without the document yeah, in yeah, front yeah, of yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The interesting thing, there was, you know, there was um, police marshals caught up with that. There was intelligent people. And uh, I remember seeing pictures of it. Basically, um, they were found all dressed in tracksuit pants with, with runners on and I think T-shirts. Uh, they, were, they were decent people. Mm-hmm. They, they, weren't, um, they weren't homeless. They weren't, and, and you can be decent and homeless, right? I'm just saying these people had careers. They had positions. They had jobs. They, they had experienced a lot in life, and yet they were sucked into to the cult, and they took their own lives. 
Mm. But David, look, one of the things that I suppose I I do struggle with just a little bit here is, I mean, that definition that you've given to us is is somewhat, um, to me, is somewhat hazy. And I do accept the definition yeah, it's because very I'm, very I, I've certainly looked. I, in my research for this, I looked at the the definitions. I, I look at a Wikipedia, and uh, and certainly the definition that was very close to the definition that was certainly in the uh, in the Wicked Wikipedia um, uh, file. But uh, David, I'm really conscious that you know i mean i'm a i'm a pastor of the seventh day adventist church and i've sat down and i've studied with you know numerous uh, people i've studied the scriptures with them and uh, uh, i can well remember just one or two it hasn't happened to me a lot but there have been some who've said to me uh, you do realize you're in a cult mm. you know and i mean they've been referring to to me and i've sort of i've never regarded myself as being in a in a cult now i don't want this to become a, an apologetic for you know mm. i mean uh, you know my particular church uh, but the thing that I'm conscious of is, I mean, I mean, is uh, uh, you know, what's the truth on this? Yeah, look, and and it's very easy to label, irrespective of 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 what denomination we may be, and it's very easy to label and use a term like a cult to divide and separate people. Yeah, and I want to suggest that the Christians were basically treated as they were part of a cult. And that Jesus, the one that uh, uh, that died on a cross, they believed he was a cult leader. And in fact, in the early Christian church, the early disciples were actually called being part of a sect. They were, and and I'm looking at Acts chapter 24, verses five and six, and this is in regard to the Jewish leaders charging the apostle Paul being a ringleader of the sect. It says, "We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him." Yeah. So. The Jewish uh, faith, which was a had a, had a, a long heritage, an established heritage, it was a religion that was tolerated in the Roman Empire, and and had some kudos, if you like. Um, when Christianity formed, the birth of the early Christian Church, it clearly came out of Judaism because essentially most of the doctrines and the teachings were the same because they had the same Bible. Mm-hmm. Christianity had found that Jesus was the Messiah. Mm-hmm. that Jesus promised in Scripture. So when they started, they were small. And what happens? Well, if you're a mainstream, if you're big, you want to put down the one that's small, that's breaking away. It's easy to label them as a sect. So um, the Nazarene sect, Christianity, we would not use the word sect so much, sect so much now. We would use the word cult. Okay, okay. But that then takes us, I think, to that question, David. I mean, how do I, I mean, obviously to me, uh, I believe Christianity has just got so much, um, certainly presented in the Word of God that is worthwhile, which, which is valuable, uh, which, uh, uh, which is leading us on a path that is, gives, um, substance both to this life and, uh, certainly hope, uh, for the, for the future. I, I really think that, uh, uh, this is such a uh, a powerful mind um, mind mind challenging um, uh, belief uh, for the uh, for for the Christian Christian person. But how can I ensure that I am part of I suppose biblical Christianity and not a cult as 
you have described. Yeah, and noting that the early Christians were considered a cult. So, yeah. so how do you how do you avoid that? How do you make sure that you don't succumb to that? Yeah. And I think it comes down to ultimately holding the scriptures and what they teach, and we're talking from a Christian perspective, as authoritative. Mm-hmm. Um, and Matthew twenty four, Gary, is a case in point. Matthew twenty four, Jesus is giving the broad brush strokes of what will take place mm-hmm. prior to his coming. And in this particular chapter, uh, it's four or five times he tells his followers that would be the genesis of the Christian church. He tells them to take heed that they're not deceived. Matthew 24, 1, and it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, uh, sorry, verse 4, he says, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now, mm-hmm. cults aren't just religious entities. There can be political cults and other cults, mm-hmm. but typically we think of cults as religious groups mm-hmm. uh, with deviant uh, beliefs, etc., etc. So here is Jesus, not long before his death, warning his followers to be careful not to be deceived because many people will come and try and mimic what he is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he then says in, in, in the following verse, he says, see that you're not troubled by all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in verse 11, he says, then many false prophets will arise and deceive many. And then in verse 23, he says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. This actually becomes a, I would call it a motive that flows right through um, Matthew chapter 24. It's repetitious. You know, three or four times you get Christ saying, do not be deceived. In fact, even if you go back to the, you know, everyone loves the Sermon on the Mount, and yet if you go to Matthew chapter 7, you get this a picture of Christ making exactly the same appeal, and we're talking the Sermon on the uh, on the Mount. Um, you know, David, one of the things that I suppose jumps out to me, however, is that uh, one of the things that I'm just really conscious of is that uh, virtually Every, um, certainly Protestant uh, and certainly a cultish organisation I've ever encountered always makes one uh, one claim, and that is, hey, look, you know, I mean, you just check what I've got from the Word of God and, uh, you know, I'll be, you know, you'll be right and you'll see that I'm right. And then the, uh, the preacher goes on and, and preaches generally a fairly powerful sermon and, and people become mesmerised. And uh, then as a, as a result, you know, it, it, the Scripture is interpreted in the way that the... Uh, Coldish leader, actually. And you see this particularly in uh, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, television evangelists, dare I, uh, dare I, I say it. But you know, David, to me, there's an important, um, uh, there's an important aspect to understanding the word of, word of God that I, I personally believe is really important. Uh, I, I believe one, uh, one of the major separating marks between the, um, a, a biblical church and a cult is the degree to which it allows critical thinking. And, and this is key. Jesus gave, uh, at creation, God gave Adam and Eve the ability to critical think. Yeah. He told them, he said, don't eat from this tree. If you do, you will surely die. Um, but he gave them the freedom of choice. Yeah. yeah. And so he gave them the ability to think freely. And so I guess one of the um, uh, characteristics that you can distinguish a cult is closed-mindedness. They're not interested in a rational evaluation of the facts. Um, they expect blind obedience to authority. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. It's controlled living. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is one of the things I suppose I, I know I appreciate about my particular church over over at Brighton, and we actually have a, a you know, Bible study groups, you know, before the worship service every uh, every Sabbath uh, Sabbath morning. But the one thing that uh, I'm just so conscious of, while there is a a common theme that is uh, that is reviewed, it's something that uh, different people will actually lead. In the, in that process. And, uh, I've been there long enough, uh, now to actually see so many different perspectives actually, actually come up. And we actually learn and grow off each other. And so you've just highlighted some things. One is that, um, it's not one dominant leader. Yeah. And it was never meant to be that way. Mm. Um, the, the, the Christian church flourishes when we multiply leaders. Yeah. So often in cults, you have a charismatic, strong, authoritarian individual yeah. that, that almost mind control of others. Um, the other thing is there is different um, perspectives shared. And I guess we see that even in Scripture. The, the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, where they have similar stories or the same story, they are, are sharing their own perspective or the, how they saw it and they or how they're writing to their audience. Mm. It, it is not a controlled process as such. And even on one occasion uh, later in the in the New Testament, you find a Paul actually saying he disagreed with Peter and he confronted him on an issue now to me withstood him to his with, face withstood him to his face to me i think this is really significant because what you've got is probably the two key leaders of the early christian church actually disagreeing on a subject and paul withstanding peter uh on uh, on a matter of significance uh, to me it's at that point that i turn around and say hey this is not a cult it's not and, and the fact that it's listed in scripture. Yeah. So there is not one dominant individual. Yeah. 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 David, look, let's come to some music. I'm just uh, really conscious that our time is starting to already move away from us. Uh, this is a really beautiful uh, little rendition of the day approaches. Uh, please, uh, please enjoy.
And that's the day approaches and nothing is truer. As the more I look at our world today, uh, the more convinced I'm becoming that the day is indeed approaching. Uh, We are seeing amazing things uh, happening in our world right now. Uh, Now, folks, uh, we do have a giveaway book for you today. If you like this book, we'd love to be able to share it with you. Uh, The book's entitled God's Truth Can Change Your Life, and this is by George Knight. Uh, Searching for life's meaning is universal. Every culture and every era has searched for truth. Truth that answers life's big questions. Truth that provides significance for daily living, truth that is certain and beyond doubt. How do I actually do it? Now, George Knight's an academic, but he doesn't speak as an academic. Uh, He preaches here, he shares, he shares from his heart, he shares concerning God's, God's truth. Good news, he talks about, in a confusing world. Jesus, how Jesus is the center of the story. What about creation and evolution? Can a reasonable person believe in creation? I believe you'll be wonderfully blessed by the answer that he does provide. What really went wrong with God's perfect world? Does God have a solution to the mess that we have made of this planet? How can I become more like Jesus? How can I be totally dedicated to God? You'll love this book by George Knight, God's Truth, How It Can Change Your Life. Now, folks, look, if you'd like your own copy of uh, this particular book, we're happy to give it to you. Uh, all you need to do is to uh, text us. Now, our studio uh, text number is uh, 0488 and uh, all you need to do is to text us a five-digit code, and that code is SA145, just five digits in a row, no gap uh, in there, SA145, and just text that to 04888 Now, that'll go through to our robot. And uh, he'll come back to you, ask you a few questions uh, so that uh, uh, we can get this uh, book to you in the fastest way uh, possible. Uh, you'll love uh, this uh, this particular book, 04888 and the code is SA145. And uh, it's great to see uh, those requests coming in right now. Now, friends, you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. And guiding us through our Bible study today, we have our regular Wednesday co-host, Pastor David Butcher. And this week, we're following the theme, the Bible, many churches, and the rise of cults. And today, we are looking at cults. We're asking, when is a religious organization a cult? David, really appreciate what you've um, what you've shared with us so far. I appreciate particularly that um, understanding about critical thinking. I believe this is so key. It's critical, Gary. Um, critical thinking. That was no pun intended. Um, yeah, God has given us a mind to expand our mind, to grow our knowledge, to deepen our understanding. He hasn't made us robots, so we have that freedom of choice. So, Gary. Let me share with you um, what's the message of manipulation that cult leaders provide. Uh, the first one I want to suggest is they present themselves as infallible authorities requiring absolute loyalty. Yeah, yeah. In other words, yeah. you've lost your ability to choose. They persuade through their strong charismatic personalities. Mm. Now, we should persuade through the scriptures. Yeah. Not through any yeah. personality that we You know, have. David, I think that's a really key one. And particularly when I look at, uh, uh, and I've already mentioned the, you know, the 
television evangelists. Mm. I'm a TV evangelist. I mean, some of them will fall into this category. Uh, yes, and so sometimes there can be a fine line between a Christian domination and a cult. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, so using persuasion as opposed to using scripture or persuasion based on our personality. Yeah. That's wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, they prohibit individual freedom, expecting unquestioned obedience. We've talked a little bit about that, but let me give a few examples. Any particular group that says you have to only read these books that come from this particular publishing house, or any particular group that says you can only read this because it has an imprimatur on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In other words, what's that about? It's about control, saying, and, and clearly any group that does that must have a level of concern or fear that uh, trying to build a framework to hide something. Okay. We've okay. been given a mind to think and to reason. What what do you think about um, you know organisations, for example, that you know I suppose use isolation or or penalise people for leaving? And that's what actually happens with some of these cults. They they remove you. They're often choosing vulnerable people, mm-hmm. and they often the the leaders have have some level of understanding of manipulation and mind control. And so they, if you're vulnerable, they remove you. They isolate you. They indoctrinate you. Um, and, but doesn't the scripture say we should treat you know the uh, the person as an unbeliever? Yeah, what's the context of that though, Gary? Yeah, that's a good, that's yeah. actually a good. I think that's yeah. that's actually a really good response. Just open yeah. that up a little so bit more. So I think you're referring to Matthew 18. Where are you? Where Jesus talks about, um, you know, forgiving someone so many times, and if not, treat them like an unbeliever, yeah. a yeah. tax collector, yeah. or a Pharisee. Um, what he's really saying is, I think in that case, in Matthew 18, if that's what you're referring to, I think he's saying. We should treat unbelievers with even more um, love and care to win them back to Jesus Christ. Now I don't know if that's no, 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 yeah, yeah, no. I think I think what you've actually said there is really important because to me um, that's certainly. I mean, what does it mean to actually treat a person as an unbeliever? The the way I treat a person as an unbeliever is actually uh, is to to attempt to win them back to Christ. And yeah, it's not to exclude. It's not to exclude them. It's actually to win them back to Christ. That's how I treat an unbeliever. Yeah, and, and, you know, I've seen stories on television. I'm sure we all have documentaries where people have been whipped away into a cult and their family can't have access to them. Yeah. They're grieving, they're mourning. Uh, they'll often pass by on the, uh, one side of the street, not even looking at family yeah, members. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and if they leave the cult, yeah. They're completely excluded. Okay. Now, which is different, as we've just said, to the way that Jesus treated people. Um, they promote themselves also, Gary, to be um, God's sole agent on earth. Um, they possess new truth from God while perverting biblical truth. And they often provide simplistic answers to complex challenges. Mm. And so ultimately the mentality of a cult follower, they follow the cult leader blindly, they forfeit individual freedom, they forsake friends and family to have a new family, so to speak, they fear punishment, which is what we've talked about. So using punishment, and the church of the medieval era did that with the picture of hell. Indeed. In a sense. Indeed. Um, And indulgences, they feel misunderstood and persecuted by the outside world. Mm. You know, David, one of the things that I'm just so conscious of is certainly some of the um, cultish behaviour 
that certainly I have witnessed in my lifetime, often it involves uh, crossing biblical boundaries of behaviour, and I'm thinking particularly in the area of sexuality. Yes. Is, uh, is, is that something you think that, I mean, to me, that's, uh, that's a huge warning sign at that particular point, as soon as a leader turns around and says, "Hey, look, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I deserve certain uh, uh, sexual favours," then at that point, to me, that's that's a warning sign that just simply says, "Get out of here." Well, we're told, aren't we, in the scriptures, to test all things and hold fast to that which is good. Uh, what what model and what pattern did the did Jesus set? What pattern did the disciples and the apostles set? Absolutely, morality was key. Yeah, and so many of these cult leaders, as you say, they sleep around with different people. Um, uh, that's part of the so-called uh, philosophy that they have, and so it, it it goes completely astray from what Scripture would would teach and would have us think. Um, Gary, I think for me, Scripture is key. There are so many voices out there, and, and I think of what Paul says in Second um, Timothy tra- chapter three, verse sixteen. He says, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work." So the Scriptures have to be our basis, and if if what comes our way doesn't match that, ditch it. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He didn't make up some philosophy. He quoted those three temptations. He quoted the word of God, Scripture. We can only be safe by following the word of God. And and that's why, to me, this is so important that we actually be reading the word of God. Because cult leaders will work on our emotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 my, I've certainly said to many, many people, you know, if in fact uh, you are being driven to make decisions because of some emotional charge, then at that point, a huge, uh, there is a huge warning sign there. Uh, that's the time uh, to reassess. That's the time uh, to to be moving in a different direction. Gary, we began in Matthew twenty four with Jesus four or five times talking about watching that you don't be deceived, being careful you don't be deceived. He basically ends that section of Matthew 24 by saying, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at a time you do not expect. So what's Jesus telling us to do? He's telling us while we live in this world where there'll be ravenous wolves that have already come in, that's what the Bible says, while there'll be much deception, he says you've got to watch, you've got to be ready, you've got to be prepared. How do you do that? By grounding ourselves in the only foundation we can have, and that's the Word of God. Thank you, David. Really appreciate that. Uh, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David on Drive Time, big Q&A. Please join Drive Time tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan will be asking, does God want believers to withdraw from society? Really look forward to your being with us then. But until then, please remember, Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God abundantly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.